Welcome to the Happy Mindset Podcast. Today's episode is episode number 59, and today's episode title is called Sagar the Magnificent. So today I'm joined by Elizabeth Jurado. Elizabeth is an author and a former teacher. On today's episode, she talks about the process that she went on in order to publish her first book called Sagar the Magnificent. The journey she went on took about seven to ten years of writing the book, so it's quite interesting to hear the insights that Elizabeth has to share today. She's a mother, and it was her teenagers that actually helped her to get the book over the line to find the right people to to get this done. So she shared some great insights. I really enjoyed listening to her story. I, I really admired the persistence and the resilience and the vision she had to get this done. So I hope you can take away some insights yourself and apply them in your own life. So thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Okay, so thanks for joining us today, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So my first question is, who are you and what are you doing in the world today? Well, first of all, I am a mom. I've been, um, before I was a mom, I was a teacher, and I gave all that up, which I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I gave it up so that I can stay home and take care of my three boys. And I've been doing that for the last 23 years. My oldest is 23 I got a 21 year old and then my 17 year old. And I, throughout the time I have been writing about this book and my 17 year old son finally asked me, when are you going to do something with it? And I just, I thought, I'm just going to give it up. I don't know what to do with it. And he's the one who helped push me to get something done. So now I'm a, stay-at-home mom who's trying to get into the publishing business by um, using my book and hopefully getting it published and getting it out there, being an author, a published author. Cool. You are one already. So we'll talk about your book, Sagar the Magnificent. When did, where did it all come out of? Where was the um, event that made you want to write that book? Well, way back when I was in my 20s, I was doing my student teaching. And you know, when you're starting out, you have to do time in the classroom as a student teacher. And one of the hardest things for me was discipline. Um, and that was the hardest part of, of learning how to being in the classroom. And I was giving a science lesson and the kids were a little bit rowdy. And I didn't think they were listening to me. I was doing my best to get their attention. And there came a little ant on the ground, on the floor, walking by, and they all stopped, and they all were looking at the ant. And the lesson that I was giving was the different parts of the body, uh, of the ant's body, and, and where they live, the ant hill, and there's different sections in the ant hill. And they started discussing the ant, and, and everything that I've been discussing, they, they were talking about it. So later on, <clears throat> At the end of my time with them, I decided to write a story that included that ant walking around the classroom, and I let the ant touch base with all the students so that they would be a part of the, of the story. And they got a big thrill out of it when I read it to them. And I <clears throat> had a, a picture drawn of, of an ant with clothes on, and I let them color it. And I told them a little bit more about how the adventures of the ant. And when I was leaving, it was during the last week, so the last day that I was leaving, some of the, the kids came up to me and asked me what happened to the ant. 
And I, I just thought, well, he he'd just been back to his auntie. But when I when I quit and I began thinking about that story, I decided to answer the question, what happened to the aunt? And that's what started the uh, writing, sitting down and writing the book. So how many years was elapsed between that event and when you asked yourself the question, what happened to the aunt? Uh, I would say around seven years. Seven years. And then you started writing the story straight away, was it? I started writing the story. Now, I had my sons, so I, I didn't have, I didn't sit down and go write straight through. It was a little here and a little there for, I don't know, seven, ten years. It, it took a while and um, for it to be developed. What made you keep keep going with it? Because people might hear seven, ten years, and I think that's a long time to be writing a book. <clears throat> I think that the that the book Sagar was a part of me when I was in my twenties. That if I hadn't gotten married, I would have done it. So I kept hanging on to it, thinking I just didn't want to let go. Maybe I, I didn't know what the future held, but I didn't want to let go of that part of me. So while I was being a mom. That was still my Elizabeth uh, Gerardo. That was who I was. And just for that moment when I would sit down and write my story, when I wasn't writing the story, I was mom. So I think that's what I kept on. It just allowed me to keep a little bit about myself. So, so did you always feel like a writer before you became a mom? <clears throat> well, when I was a little girl, I was very shy. And so I would write and also... It was the time before computers, uh, smartphones. So you had to do something with your time. You had to come up with something. So I was either reading or I had a little notebook that I would scribble or being out there running around, jumping around, climbing trees. Those were my options. So those were the three things. I don't think I was very good at it. So I, I just did it to keep my, my mind busy. What I was good at was reading a lot of books. And I think that played a big role in and my getting better as I got older. And what I rely on, rely on today is all those books that I read <clears throat> during those times as a little girl. So tell us a bit about Sagar. Who, who is it aimed at? And what's the intention you wrote it with for the, for the reader? Well, a lot of my student teaching were <clears throat> in areas that were low-income areas. El Paso, Texas is a border city, and I did my teaching along the neighborhoods along the border, and those are very poor neighborhoods. And I wanted to write a story that included a whole bunch of Hispanic kids in a positive way, you know, uh, solving problems in a positive way, dealing with issues in a positive way. So that's what was my intention when I was writing Sagar. And are there aspects of Sagar or Joseph that are aspects of yourself growing up? Yes. Um, I hadn't realized it when I was writing it. I was just thinking I was looking around at the kids around me, my sons. But when I was done and I had my family read it, they all looked at me and said, that Sagar, um, sorry, Joseph is you. <laughs> Because <laughs> with his panic attacks and, and being uh, really nervous and shy. And I didn't realize that I had put a lot of myself into Joseph. 
I guess sometimes you, you don't realize that when you're putting so much of yourself in a book, mm -hmm. uh, so everybody was telling me, no, Joseph is you. <laughs> and they're right. It was me. <laughs> so... And then, like, what sort of research goes into writing this book? Because, like, when you're when you're reading it, it's a, it's a. I read the book and it felt like it was like for twelve, thirteen, eleven to fourteen year olds, depending on the maturity of them. But like, what sort of uh, research goes into that, into creating a book like that? Well, my intentions were really um, between eight and twelve. And I was gauging that on my youngest son who happens to read a lot. And it would be something that he would have read and been done with it by fourth grade. So I hadn't thought about it being older. But since you've mentioned it, I, it just depends on, on, on the child. Right. You're possibly right. Uh, but like, what sort of research actually goes behind the book like that? Well, the research... I would, I would do a lot of research on, for instance, the point of view. I first, I researched that most books written in chapter books were in the third view, third person point of view. And so I wrote it all through the times that I would sit down and write it. And it wasn't until this last year that I thought, I'm going to go against what they recommended and I'm going to switch it to first person. And I think it's changed since, I think, since the, the, those unwritten, those rules about it being third person, because there's a lot of books nowadays, especially the uh, graphic novels that are the diary type of, of books. And I think that now it, it, it works, I think, that you can get more into the emotional part of the narrator instead of he, she, he, she, I can really discuss what he was feeling, his gut feeling about, you know, the ant. And, and, and I think the readers could connect better with first person. So I just recently changed it, I think a year ago, to first person. Was that, was that a difficult choice to make, to go to number one, go against the grain, and then number two, you had to rewrite the book again? Really? Yes. Now, I'm used to that because when I first started, the technology was not all that great. I started on a little brother's word processor. I don't know if you know what that is. And I lost my book a couple of times in that because it was just an old rickety thing. And then I went to a computer and I had several crashes. So I've been rewriting the book for, for many, uh, since the beginning of, that I began with the book. So rewriting it for the last time was just no, it, I just felt it had to be done. And so I just did it. Yeah, you got in so far. Because you, you went to publishers too when you got turned down. And can you just talk a little bit about how you approached that as feedback to take on board rather than quitting because you felt it wasn't good enough? Well, since uh, I was just getting just uh, the stamp rejections and I felt they're not even reading it. So there has to be something wrong with my story if they don't even read the first page if they just glance at it and they just stamp no so I just like to when things come at me I try to spin it in a positive way so that it won't get me down because it's very easy to to lose your confidence and there were a few moments that I would <laughs> kind of 
you know, I wonder if I should keep trying. I wonder. But I thought, if you don't give it your all, if you don't try all the avenues, then you could be cutting yourself short. So I decided to keep trying and, and looking at the book, stepping back and looking at it to see what's wrong. And I think what I, one of the biggest things that I changed that I think made a difference was the first, first few pages. I thought by bringing in more of who I was into the story made a big difference. Who, I'm here from El Paso, Texas. It's, it's different, it's unique. You've got the border right, right down the street from me. So I live in an area where there's a Mexican culture and an American culture living side by side. And in many times it merges and it's a different experience. So you I just- some Spanish words in the book too, don't you? Yeah. Right, right. I put in Spanish words. I put in, um, the first book is I was slowly putting things in there. The second book has a little bit more of the Mexican culture because the second book is going to have more of his family. And, you know, when you deal with family, you're dealing with traditions and, and the culture. Yes, you're going to have to deal with that. So, like, looking back on it, like, why, why do you think it became more personalized towards the end? Do you feel like you became more confident or it was just you wanted to bring it more to life? Like, what, what explains it from being more general, maybe to begin with, to being more personalized to El Paso a little bit towards the end? Well, first of all, I, I remember, you know, they, they say, don't, you have to write what you know about. And if I'm gonna write what I know about, of course, it's gonna be who I am, where I live, um, my tradition, my culture. And I think that that's why I wasn't reaching people because it, I was trying to keep that out and just keep it um, just a normal, uh, straight through, just a regular book. Mm. And I, just, I think that by going first person, it allowed me to bring in who I was, for some reason, who I was more into the book. Yeah. And, and was hopefully- that Did you find it difficult to include you in more personalized book, to include more of yourself in the book? I, I, it was, like I said, I unintentionally wrote Joseph thinking that I was using my sons, but I did not realize that I was writing myself into the story because I opened myself up and, and I, well, what, what would I feel if this happened? Of course, I would be nervous. I would be uh, shaking and, and all that kind of thing. So I started writing that and, and every time he would meet up with a challenge, I would put down how I would feel and then I guess subconsciously how I would hope I would meet up to the challenges and, and that story since it's fiction allowed me to be you know Superman <laughs> at some times even though I know I wouldn't be able to do that maybe <laughs> the, like was there anything you was there any unintended benefit of actually writing the book that you didn't think about before you started writing the book in terms of your own personal growth or in terms of like uh, your skill set or, or anything that you hadn't considered would be a, a positive to doing the book? Well, <clears throat> I think it was an outlet. Um, everyday life is stressful, you know, being a mom, being a dad, whatever your life is at, it's stressful. And writing the book, I 
was able to be funny. <laughs> I tried to bring a lot of humor into it. And that kind of, um, if I was feeling stressed out or, or sad about something, I would sit down and just write something funny. And, and that would help me out. It was very therapeutic for me in that end, to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> so now your plans are to write a series for the books, is that right? Right, yes. And so when did, when did you have that idea? Was that at the very beginning or was it when, you, uh, when you're in the middle of writing a book? When did you decide that this is going to be a series of books? I guess it would be in the middle when the book just was longer and getting longer and longer. And um, my options were to throw away a lot of the chapters or find a way to keep them. And so I decided I'm going to keep them. I'm going to do a series. And that's what I did. <laughs> So you're currently working on the second book, are you? Right, right. The second book. I bring in a new character since he deals with family. He's got his little cousin that's moved in next door. In my area, you're always related to somebody down the street. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it's like that anywhere else. Like where I'm from too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could, I could go down the street. You know, this person, this person, this person, they're all related. And this person, this person are related. My grandparents live at the end of the street and we live towards the other end. So there's somebody okay. that, yeah, <laughs> that's how it was. <laughs> so with uh, like, so you've got in mind five books. Will, so you've got an idea of the second book already. Do you already know what the third and fourth and fifth books will be about? Or will it be when you finish the second one, you'll get more clarity in the third one? How I know, no, I already know all five. Okay. Uh, yeah, the next one would be, um, he's a babysitter. He ends up babysitting his, uh, Joseph's little cousin, who's a little stinker, and puts him through the ringer. So <laughs> that would be uh, the third one. The, the fourth one would be, he's a detective. When I was a little girl, my father uh, came home and brought me a sombrero, a Mexican sombrero. And it was one of those fancy velvet type of sombrero. And um, my brother kept asking me, well, why don't you wear it? <laughs> And why would somebody wear a sombrero? Where would I wear it? And um, so when I was writing Sagar, I decided I'm going to write a book where he wears a sombrero and let's see what happens. And of course, he gets picks on. They pick on him and somebody steals his sombrero. So he becomes a detective and he goes hunting for his sombrero. <laughs> and it, yeah, so that's, that's what happens. And the last one... Um, it would be an adventure with, when I was growing up, I had, I guess he would be my, my great-grandfather. He was a little old, little old man, and we used to call him the little old grandpa because the, my grandfather was, was grandpa. And um, he tended to get into a lot of trouble because he, at that age, they couldn't drive, they couldn't eat what he want, they wanted to do. So uh, he rebelled, he got a hold of the keys and took off. And nobody knew where he was, and they found him in, in the state of New Mexico somewhere. So, <laughs> so I thought, I'm going to do that, where Sagar ends up with her, their little old grandfather. And, and Joseph, they both end up in the car, and before they know it, they're driving down the freeway, and they end up in New Mexico. And I, I'm going to do an adventure, what happens, what I think could happen when you get in a car with a little old man who shouldn't be driving, and where, where they end up. That's what that story would be about. <laughs> were you always 
imaginative as a child or do you find as you started writing more that you became more imaginative? I think as a child, I was. First of all, I read a ton of books. And second of all, like I said, we did not have the technology that kids have nowadays. They usually spend their time staring at a phone or playing those, playing those video games. We did not have that. You had to go out there and make your fun. So you had to have imagination and you would have to stare at a tree and pretend that's a, a ship, climb up those things and, and you're a pirate. And you, you would play that game. We would spend hours you know, playing games like that. And I don't think kids do that anymore. So I think my imagination came was because we didn't have the money for all that, even if it was um, possible. And we, we had to come up with our own games. I think it's like a muscle to the imagination. When you use it more, it becomes you become better at it. I think, but when I think it, it kind of, I don't think it fades away, to be honest. I think it just turns more into like paranoia and drama and stuff like that, because that's all imagination a lot of the time, too. Well, I can go um, either way, too. Sometimes if I let it go too crazy, yeah. <laughs> I have to, <laughs> to drive back in. Yeah. It's like anything. Yeah, you need to practice it and deliberately practice and technique right. and stuff, yeah. So right. how about the animations in your book? Like, did you always, did you always know there was going to be animations there or what was, how did that happen? I'm not too sure I understood the question. No, the animations, the illustrations in your book in oh. Sagar, did you always, did you always envision it having animations in it or how did that come about? Well, I would have, I, I based everything I know on the books that are read and they always had pictures. And, you know, as a kid, you're not going to really want to read a book without pictures. So you're going to look for the pictures. So when I started, um, I was on a tight budget. And um, the person that I was working with, Lisa Caprelli, she recommended um, Davey Villalobos. And he is my illustrator. And uh, he really made it possible for the illustrations for my book to come out to come alive with his, with his drawings. I was real pleased. Yeah. Did you know, like, did you know straight away when, when he had drawn it that that was Sagar? Was there any like touching ups you needed to do? Or like, how did you know that that was Sagar? That was your character you, you created? Well, I was really nervous when I first met with him because I was afraid he was going to ask me to describe Sagar to him. And then he was go from there. I knew Sagar, how he acted, but I didn't, I couldn't put it in my mind what he looked like. I couldn't, I didn't have that in my imagination. Couldn't stretch that far to know what he would look like. So, um, and I was relieved that David Villalobos, he, he came prepared. He already had read my books and he did a, a couple of, of sketches. And I knew that when I saw the character, I would know, I would know when I would see it. And sure enough, when he finally, uh, sent me a text of a of this character and I thought that's Sagar that's who he is and so it was a really big moment because up, up to then I would imagine Sagar is based off my middle son my middle son is uh, um, very hyper had to be climbing over things and I had to always keep an eye on him he was real skinny and a long finger. So when I described whatever description I had of Sagar, I would look over to my son and I go, okay, he's skinny. 
<laughs> long fingers. All right, that's him. Okay, that's what it would be. But as a picture, I was not sure what he would look like. And um, Davy Viel I Davy Villalobos, I think, uh, nailed it. Did okay. a good job. Yes. So, so how about do you have any advice for somebody who might be in a similar situation where they're a mom and they've got a tendency to want to write or, or just create or, or do stuff, and they might be feeling they have a lack of confidence or they have a lack of time? Do you have any advice for somebody who's in that situation right now? Well, first of all, never give up. You have to keep writing. Um, rewriting and rewriting, you would think it's the worst thing that would ever happen to a writer, but it really is the best thing. Each time I wrote it, I saw it differently, and I improved on what I had. Um, so that would be one thing. Just don't give up. Keep writing. Um, research. I read a lot of blogs on, on um, well, the point of views and, and things like that. There's always, especially now that there's computers, these laptops, it's just on your fingertips. I told my kids, when I was little, I had to go to the library and look things up. You know, and they don't know that what that's about. They have no concept. <laughs> yeah. so, so that would be one. And I was lucky. I think when everything came together, it was just meant to be because I met up with people who I never thought I would meet up, uh, such as um, meeting up with uh, Lisa Caprali was a total accident. I was not looking for it. She was at a community college giving a teenage workshop. And my son happened to be friends with her niece. And he told me, come on, mom, come, come see this. Uh, she could help you. And um, I told him, I, I don't think so. And he's the one, he's now at an age where he's, tell, he's telling his mom, look, if not now, when are you going to do it? You're going to, <laughs> yeah, it, the, the roles switched around and I'm like, yeah. okay, okay. You're gonna go, and he he had things to do, but he put them aside, and he took me to the to where the meeting was. And when I opened the door, I didn't realize that there were teenagers, and I'm not a teenager. And I told him, I'm not a teenager. It's not for me. He goes, No, you're gonna go in, sit down. And so I sat down uh, to stand up and tell my everybody my name, <laughs> just like uh, I was back in school, and um, they wrote my name on the board and. But it, it turned out to be the beginning of Sagar being published. I met up with Lisa, we spoke, and she said she could help me. And before I know it, I was meeting up with an editor, which is another thing. Having your book edited and getting um, advice on what, what you should work on or what's working, what isn't. That, I always welcome that kind of um, input. And... Um, it's just started rolling from there. And I never, I, I had stopped looking for it. I, I was at a point where I thought maybe I should just put it away and, and concentrate on helping my kids get into college. And, and But they, they're the ones who then told me, you know, it's time for you to, to, to do it. And so you just can't give up because you don't know what's around the next corner. Mm -hmm. you know, it's something can happen, something that you're not expecting and it just changes your life, just flips everything over. And, and that's what happened with me. That's great. Good, great story. <laughs> Where would people find the book if they wanted to purchase it? <clears throat> well, right now it's on Amazon. Um, I've got it on, um, it's a paperback and Kindle. And um, hopefully we'll be working on trying to get it hardcover into a hardcover 
book and into um, Barnes and Nobles. I know it's a, it's a process that you have to go through. It takes a couple of months. Lisa Caprelli said, uh, recommended me get through this first process of getting it published on Amazon, take a, a breather, and then start on with a Barnes and Noble. So that's what I'm hoping to do. Yeah, step by step, yeah. So you're gonna yeah. yeah. So do you have any last piece of advice that you'd like to share with somebody who's listening in this podcast? Well, also, don't um, sell yourself short. Everybody has something to write, to say, something to give. And, and it comes out in a book a lot of times, or it comes out in your children. But you have to keep a, a hold of who you are and to know that there is something good in you that you can share with other people. And, and I sometimes would doubt it, but it comes out, I'm hoping in my book, that the humor and, and bringing my life, which was, is a little different than a lot of people with the, the Mexico being right across from me. Um, everybody, I think everybody has a story to tell. And I, I think everybody should take a chance and, and try and find a way, whether it's writing a book or an art or, you know, which, whatever way that, that you can do it to bring your story out. That's good advice. Good advice, Elizabeth. Thanks for, thanks for sharing your journey and thanks for sharing the story and the process you went down. For me, it's an example of somebody who keeps persisting. And even when, even when you felt like it was time to give up, then you would still have an open enough mind to keep going and stay at it and reach your goals. So thanks for sharing your story today. Well, thank you so much, Dennis. I've had a lot of fun here. <laughs> My pleasure. So until next time, have fun and enjoy the process. Thank you.